those cohorts shouting It's Dater and Jay Alright, welcome into the latest edition to hear that podcast growling. Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you for our preview show of the Bengals divisional round game against the Buffalo Bills. Jay, how we doing? Look at us. We're anti-Cincinnati TV people. We're not wearing our orange. We're wearing our blue, our Bills blue today, ah. it looks like. Yeah, Bills blue. I, I've got my uh my Hyde Park School Eagles uh wear uh-huh. on supporting supporting the grade school. Okay, you know. For any future coaching, if I wear any future coaching endeavors. I just closed my eyes, reached in the closet, and grabbed a shirt. thanks to everybody watching on youtube good to have you guys here judging our uh judging our color choices uh but uh and everybody listening at home for um you know jay we've previewed some stupid tilts over the years we have (laughs) yes we have found ways to make bad tilts interesting uh not so today Bengals, bills three o'clock sunday in orchard park in um one of the games of the year and uh, it's uh, a big game over the course of not just this year, but multiple se- years. You never know how many chances you're going to have at it. And Bengals Bills is, um, you know, if this was if they were in different sides and this was the Super Bowl, you'd say, boy, what a great Super Bowl matchup because that's how good both of these two teams are. Uh, both teams on long winning streaks. The Bengals, of course, have won nine in a row. The Bills have won eight in a row. Uh, just two wagons showing up. In Western New York, yeah. If that if that Monday night game had not been canceled, a good chance this could be the AFC Championship game because one of these teams might have been the one seed, and the other team probably would have had a good shot as the three to beat Kansas City. Jay, 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 why you gotta go bringing that up again? Getting everybody all fired up, all getting everybody all in a tizzy. It is fun to watch. Uh, all right, let's. We're gonna try to crank through this stuff. Uh, first of all, reminder: if you're going to Buffalo, hey, you're on the road right now. How's it going? Be careful. Watch out if you see, if you see wind, snow drifts. Stay slow. But if you're listening to us, you're on the road to Buffalo Saturday night at six o'clock. Uh, we will be at Fatty Beer Brewing Company in Orchard Park doing a live podcast with our guy from Go Long. Tyler Dunn, going to be fun down there. Also, can say this for sure, now very excited, our f- good friends at Graders are going to be showing up and just yes. giving out free ice cream. And there's going to be like a gift pack uh, that they're going to get, we can give away, we're going to do some trivia for that of Graders goodies. So shout out to Graders uh, for just showing up at our event and giving out a bunch of free ice cream. So come on now, beer and ice cream, Jay, what else do you possibly need? It, 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 do it all. Is there a chance we might have a special guest as well? I mean, if we have to go straight from the road to the brewery. Yeah, our 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 uh, colleague on the road, Richard Skinner from Local 12, he might be busy having a couple of pops at the bar, but maybe he'll hop on the microphone. But uh, he's going to be on the road with us, so I imagine there's a chance he'll be there as well. You never know. He'll look forward to seeing you guys there. If you're in Buffalo, you're coming to town, you're looking for something to do, um, that's where we'll be down there. Should be great. Looking forward to seeing Tyler again and uh, good chat about the game the next day. Um, weather update for the game, light snow. Um about an inch of accumulation during the game. How can you have a playoff game in Buffalo in January and not have a little bit of snow falling just to make it picturesque, just to make it perfect and on brand? So uh, that looking forward to that. Uh, news 
uh, from yesterday. Not a ton of injury news. Trey Flowers showed up, did not practice with a hamstring. Uh, if he can't go, obviously Dax Hill shifts into that uh tight end cover role that they have. Dawson Knox will be his assignment. Uh, no Jonah Williams or Alex Kappa out at practice at all. Neither practice. They're not expected to play. We have no. They're not going to play this weekend, um, just so you know that. Jonah, though, we did see him walking around the locker room, Jay, and he looked to be walking pretty good for somebody who had such a serious of a deal as he did. Not great, still ginger, but had a, like a soft brace on it and uh, was walking okay. And um, he wasn't going around on the scooter like like Alex is. So I thought that was actually relatively um, encouraging, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, there's different degrees of, of kneecap dislocations. But if you remember, he did it in week five at Baltimore and played the next week. So, um, I, I mean, Zach has said week to week, it doesn't, like you said, doesn't look like he's going to play this week. But he, the way he's moving, even the way he looked after the game, he had a crutch, but it, it didn't look awful I, I give him a chance to play if, if they are able to make it to the AFC championship game yeah we'll see uh, that's a big we'll see but they will talk about the game that's happening to get them there uh today other tiny bit of news I want to touch on uh just uh the international game slate uh came out with two games in Germany and three in London for next year mm-hmm. um Kansas City has a Germany game Tennessee and Jacksonville both have London games. All three of those teams are on the Bengals' road schedule next year, so a chance the Bengals could be in the mix for one of those three games to get bumped overseas, and they could be making a return uh, to Europe next year. Potentially, that will be announced later on, but wanted to keep that uh, sort of in the back of the mind uh, that uh, the, they're they're in the mix. And it'd be man, what a flex it would be by the NFL to move Bengals Chiefs out of Arrowhead into to <laughs> Germany. Uh, you know, one of yeah. the games of the season next year, that would be the ultimate. This is how much we care about the international games. I don't know if that's going to happen. That feels like a little strong move by the NFL and one that Casey would say, uh-uh about. Uh, however, um, you know, just Tennessee and Jacksonville certainly seem like likely ones that could end up. Over there. Well, what about a Bengals Jags AFC championship rematch in London? Also, also possible. Um, all right. Other, I'm not going to call this necessarily news, but I think this was something that was discussed yesterday that kind of was a bit of a topic of the day, I guess, a creation as we like to do. Um, the concept of the Bengals are currently, uh, the line is now at five and a half, five and a half point underdogs over under 48. Um, and the nature of the whole Kansas City and Buffalo and the AFC Championship game tickets are on sale. Yet the tickets are on sale. You can also buy tickets for an AFC Championship game at Paycor. Um, I don't know if that's an insult to the Chiefs. Okay. But the, 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 the NFL putting it out there is a big thing. Get your tickets now for a potential neutral site <laughs> game. All of that, I think, kind of sort of kicked the hornet's nest a little bit on the Bengals disrespect narrative. And obviously mm. they have found ways to create the disrespect card, right? Jay, here we go again. And yep. I took that personally. It's the Michael <laughs> Jordan meme over and over again. It plays right to their strength. Joe Burrow yesterday, I sort of asked about it, said, just laughed. I never feel like an underdog and the most on brand response ever. Yeah. Um, Zach Taylor kind of asked about it, said, we know, quote, we know that we're defending AFC champions. There's an edge to this team. We're not an underdog to anybody. That's just been the feeling all season. We don't care what anybody else says about us. We know that we belong in the field with every team in this league. They've won nine in a row, Jay. They shouldn't have to say this. But, hey, here we right. are, and they're just going to play right into it. 
Yeah, and I mean, Joe playing the disrespect card, I mean, whether he actually believes that or not, or there, it's just like you said, the looking for any kind of edge, any kind of chip, it's it's just common business practice. The Bengals, oh, by the way, are advertising Super Bowl packages on Bengals.com. So it's just how you have to do these kind of things. You have to be prepared. You have to start uh, getting the, the business going early, even before you know it's official. Um, I don't think the Bengals should take a slight to, to the tickets being sold for this AFC Championship game, a possible AFC Championship game in Atlanta. But if they want to, I, I don't think anybody's going to be too upset because they, they just thrive in these situations where they feel – they are being slighted for whatever reason. Yeah, and I think it's also more about just the whole year long about Buffalo and Kansas City, right? Mm. I mean, that goes back to preseason, where it was like, yeah. oh, Bengals are the regression candidates, and the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, right? Just the mm. super hyped favorites, just the constant love being given to Buffalo and Kansas City, I think is 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 sort of the undertone of this, and the plus five and a half for a team that's won nine in a row, and is, Jay, uh, wait, I mean, a million and one against the spread this year, right? With like 23, yeah. and I know, depending, it like depends on where you got certain lines they've basically you know won damn near every game against the spread people have continued to bet against them and they continue to prove teams wrong it's just kind of been who they are and if you're talking about you know to me following the script of last year right i mean this is to a t this is to a t you know what the theme was uh in the tennessee week last year going to the number one seed on the road was you know, the Bengals can't stop derrick henry you know, right. the defensive line can't slow them down. You're just going to go into Tennessee and win. Everybody's picking the Titans. And afterwards, what was it? It was DJ Reader talking about, yeah, disrespect. It was disrespectful. We take that personal. You're a man. You're a woman. You're a journalist. You want people to tell you you're not good enough? Like, that was like the theme from everybody after that game was was about that. This is It's to a T. The Everything from having to stop a final drive up a touchdown at home in the wild card round with almost another Jermaine Pratt interception at the two and, and winning and kind of maybe not playing your best doing it to now going on the road against a team that everyone's favoring against you and saying that you can't do it, playing the disrespect card. Um, I know we've we've tried to stay away from parallels to last year, but sometimes they just hit you in the face with a two by four. Yeah, and that Tennessee game last year is when the 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 whole mantra changed about why not us to it is us. What does I mean? Do they change? They got to play us um, to they can't beat us, or do they do they find a new a new uh, slogan Saturday night in a meeting before this game? I don't know. I, I think they think they like the they got to play us thing. I'm not sure that'll change, but it is. It's the we we talked about it earlier that all year in OTAs. They were very quick to flip the the script and, and didn't want to talk about last year. Last year was last year, but it's unavoidable now. The, the parallels just are right there over and over and over again every step of the way. They are. Um, let's get into a few keys of this game. We're going to drop our good friend Eric Wood in here mm -hmm. in a minute, coming back a couple of weeks later, um, which is going to be great. And to talk a little bit about things going on on the Buffalo side of things. But I want to start, Jay, you have a story up now about the red zone. Um, look, we were kind of parsing through the things to make sure that we hit on this week. And we talked about, well, what is this game going to be? I mean, what is this going to be decided? And, and this is it. I mean, the, the, the nature of these two teams, the nature of these two offenses, how successfully they move up and down the field on almost everybody, um, how it's sh these teams only play. I mean, they're only going to play close games. No one's blowing anybody out between these two teams. And, 
brings it down to one thing. Who gets down and converts close to the goal line? A strength on strength situation. And you, you know, you dove really deep into it. Yeah, there's just so many different angles to take. And it's I, I started with the the whole a lot of the conversation this week and our, our friends in Buffalo wrote about this is how much can you take away from that first game? You know, 18 plays, nine minutes, whatever it was. Um, I, I think if you are a Bengals fan, the one big takeaway from that game is the Bengals got into the red zone on their opening drive and scored on their first, they scored a touchdown on their first snap in the red zone. The Bills also a very good red zone offense team. Bengals a very good red zone defense team. Bills get down there, same spot, first and 10 at the 14, uh, have to kick a field goal. And there's just, there, there, it, it's really interesting where you see the difference between Joe Burrow and Josh Allen in the red zone. Josh Allen, Leads all quarterbacks in red zone interceptions. He leads all quarterbacks in red zone fumbles. Joe Burrow has one red zone interception all year. That was in New England when he, he had the miscommunication with Tyler Boyd. Um, there's just there's a lot of things to like about Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow in the red zone is he has been really good. And the, maybe the most interesting stat I found is. His, his completion percentage down there in the red zone is 58%. And we all know, I mean, he's, he's up around 70, it seems everywhere else on the field. And I, he, he, he talked about that. I asked him about red zone yesterday in the press conference and he talked about um, knowing down there that it has to be there right away. And if it's not get rid of the ball and live for another play. And, and that's where he and Josh Allen differ a little bit where Josh Allen's going to, Get out of the pocket more often. Wait, wait, wait. See if something comes open. Sometimes force something that's not there. A lot of his interceptions aren't coming on third downs where he's trying to make something happen. He, it's a first down and he just takes an unnecessary risk. So I, I think that's where the, the Bengals have a, a big advantage in this game, even though it sounds crazy to say because the Bills are the number two red zone defense. The Ravens were the number three red zone defense, and the Bengals went three for three against them the last two weeks. They the the Bengals you wrote about it that that crazy streak they went on was seventeen consecutive drives, not including a kneel down, where they scored in the red zone, and they couldn't keep that up. There was no way they were going to keep that up, but they are still among the best in the league since that streak ended. And um, you know, I, I think you're right that that is going to be the difference in this game. Uh, who can get a stop, maybe two, in that red zone? All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. You know, you mentioned Baltimore being number three in the red zone. Well, the second half of the season, much like with their entire defense, I mean, they were an unstoppable mm. force in the red zone. I mean, they were like 8% better than second place in red zone efficiency. If you look at just over the second half of the season, basically from Roquan Smith on, yeah. um, you know, when they really turned, turned it up and it set them off and you meant, and the Bengals went three and three against them. I think there's a thought of, look, if you can go in the red zone and score against them, uh, you can do it against almost anybody. And I think there's some solace taken in that as well as the fact that they did go one for one against Buffalo in the first game, even though again, the small bit that you can take from that, I, I do think that's part of it. Let's bring in uh, Brian Callahan talking about the red zone yesterday. 
That Bills defense presents problems anywhere on the field, but they, they really bow up in the red zone, one of the best in the league. Is there yeah. anything specific to their scheme or their personnel that, that makes them so good in the red zone? They do a good job uh, mixing coverages. You know, they, they have a good mix of things that they play really well down in the red zone. Um, a lot of times when you get ready for a team, a lot of defenses might play one or two things uh, in the red zone, so you can really dial into it. They have enough variation where it's hard to know exactly what you're going to get in a given game. Um, but they play all those things well, and they communicate well in the red zone. And, you know, any team that's going to score touchdowns usually runs the ball relatively well down there, and they do a good job of, of stopping the run too. So uh, it's, it's kind of a strength on strength. You know, we went down there that first drive and, and put one in uh, in that game on Monday night, and it's, you know, something that we pride ourselves on too is being able to, to find touchdowns down there. And so um, it's probably going to be the difference in the game at the end of the day is, is who scores touchdowns in the red zone if they can keep us out versus if we can get in. So uh, it'll be a point of emphasis all week. It usually is, but particularly in playoff games, you have to score points. Uh, that's Brian Callahan talking about, you know, there it is. I mean, this mm-hmm. is probably where this game is going to be decided. And I, I don't, and I don't, you know, that's not a secret. Um, but I think when, again, it comes back to just the, the way this game should play out and you never know. I mean, it could end up mm. playing out where you have like last year, you're down three scores in arrowhead and you just got to find a way and it becomes a, a wild chase to get back or whatever. But so you never know how it's going to go. Um, but it can go many different ways. Um, there's a Jamar chase element to this that I want to get to, um, (laughs) that that's fantastic. Um, but Jamar, it connects to, there's a lot of things in this game where Jamar is going to be, you know, he's kind of been in the background a little bit. Um, it, but he connects to the red zone piece. He connects to the overall offense piece. He, uh, and, you know, obviously in the big moments, Joe tends to lean a little heavier into Jamar and let that take over. We've seen it. I want to get to that when we have some more time to dive into it. But I want to get into Eric Wood first. Strong elder grad, purveyor of Price Hill Chili, get a lover, and Buffalo Bills <laughs> uh, color analyst, Eric Wood. How are we doing, Eric? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing good. Really good. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, for sure. My pleasure. Good to have you back again. We were just, it was just a few weeks ago. So much mm-hmm. has happened. So much has changed since we last talked. Um, I, I want to start there. I want to start with um, life around this team since that night and, and your thoughts a little bit on experiencing that night in Cincinnati, um, as you know, so many of us did. Yeah, I'll start with that night. And we talked earlier that week about how electric of an atmosphere it was going to be on Monday night, how anticipated it was. The most combined wins for two teams in Monday night football history, the first Allen Burrow matchup of their careers. I mean, there was so much hype going into it. Bill's fan base traveled well down there. Sometimes they can bring out a little extra energy in a crowd just because you want to prove, you know, your home field advantage. And gosh, I mean, I've, I've been to countless games at Paul Brown Stadium, now Paycorp Stadium. I mean, it was the best atmosphere I've ever experienced there. And I've been there for playoff games. I was there for the mm-hmm. Carson Palmer, Kimo Von Olhoffen game. Like, this was unbelievable, the atmosphere. And then less than 10 minutes in, it's dead silent. And I've said it already on numerous national media appearances, but the city of Cincinnati represented themselves so well in those moments. I always say there's one in every crowd, but there wasn't. 
and you're talking about almost 70,000 people that were charged up, anticipated this game. It was a night game. The tailgate scene was incredible, and not one person embarrassed themselves in that crowd. And we have an open-air booth, and we're kind of right in the middle. We have a great view of the field from that broadcast area, as you guys know. And so it was uh, it was remarkable. UC Medical, the training staffs and everything, the way they responded to then get that great news as the week goes on about DeMar Hamlin leading into – what this New England game, and it's a win and end game for New England, and the Bills are on a short week already because of Monday Night Football, and how they emotionally could even game plan or anything, you're wondering what this is going to be like. Well, because of the good news, it turned into more of a celebration than a a time of mourning in the pregame, and then Naeem Hines runs his first ever touchdown back on a kick return on the opening kickoff, and it was just – it was kind of it was it was on from there, and then it seemed like the next week in preparation for the Dolphins, it was back to business as usual, and then obviously this week as well. And you know, the the Bills are going to wear the number three on their chest the rest of the year, and that will that will be their motivation. But there's been so much that's gone on since last May to Western New York, from the racially motivated mass shooting to. Kim Pagula, the owner, being sick and still in the hospital and and not around to the snowstorms, one of which killed over 40 people. And there's just been so much even leading up to this DeMar situation that this is a motivated team, not just by maybe a Lombardi trophy. Yeah, and and hopefully we see DeMar on the field Sunday. I think that would be great for everybody. Um, Certainly would give give the Bills a lift. Um, I know he's visited them and that had to give him a lift, but um, you mentioned it, the, the, the Heinz kickoff return to start that game um, against the Patriots. I'm just curious, we've been breaking down all this, all these elements of this game and the, the Bengals red zone offense, the Bills red zone defense, everything seems so even, but the one area the Bills rank number one in special teams DVOA, the Bengals are 18th. And I'm just wondering, you know, the Heinz thing aside, what, what have you seen from Buffalo special teams? Is is that a unit that, I mean, I know number one DVOA is not a fluke, but why are they so good? Where is that manifesting it itself in these wins? Well, they brought in Heinz at the trade deadline. Prior to that, Jameson Crowder was doing a good job in the return game. They bring in Heinz after uh, Crowder broke his leg against Baltimore. And so mm. Heinz has really stabilized the return game. Coverage-wise, when you watch the Bills kick off, Tyler Bass, their strong-legged young kicker, he's capable of kicking it out the back of the end zone. A lot of times they'll pop it up to right around the goal line to make that returner have to make a decision. Maybe you get them to hesitate, and they've pinned countless teams inside their 20 drive after drive, which – doesn't seem like a lot, but you're essentially if you if you if you cut off seven or eight yards per drive, it yeah. just all adds up in the end. It just makes it a little more difficult to beat you. And the Bills have won so many one score games this year that sometimes that plays a factor. And so uh, you have that factor. And then the Bills punter has the least amount of punts in the league. And the main reason <laughs> for that is the Bills have the highest percentage of drives in the NFL that end in a score. And they also have the highest amount of drives in the NFL that end in a turnover. And so <laughs> Sam Martin doesn't get a whole lot of work. Uh, I, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, 
how the Bills have been playing over all these last two weeks because, you know, the Hine, two Hines returns obviously play a massive role in winning that game against New England. And then, you know, Dolphins pushing, you know, it took everything you got that the Bills had to, to get out of that game uh, alive. I'm just curious at how you feel like they're trending and playing overall, surviving certainly and finding ways to win, which has kind of been the key over this whole streak. But how do you feel like they're trending and are there concern areas at this over the last, just the last two weeks, really? I mean, the main concern would be the turnovers. When you look at this eight game win streak, the Bills are on in the first five games of that win streak, they had three total turnovers in the last three games, they've had nine. And so you cannot turn the ball over like that against the Bengals and expect to win. It's just not going to happen. When you're playing evenly matched teams, show me the touchdown percentage in the red zone and the turnover differential, and I'll likely show you who won the game. I mean, that's just how it generally works out in the NFL. Now, there's a lot of plays in between that get you to the red zone that maybe set up a turnover-worthy play because you got a sack on second down, and now on third down you got to push the ball down the field. There's other – plays that that determine those those metrics but um, it, it would be the turnovers would be the main concern last week the Dolphins were under man and they played a risk at all approach they ran more cover zero than I've seen in a, a game in in a long long time since Rex Ryan was coaching defense <laughs> in this league and to me that's what they had to do they were physically outmatched in that game you're playing on the road you're the biggest underdog in wildcard weekend history and at times it worked. They were two drop passes away from being down 28 to three, but those were drop passes. They continued to blitz. They were able to get a sack fumble for a touchdown, and it, it paid off at times. But then you still have a game where Josh Allen, even with the drops and a couple overthrows down the field, still for, threw for over two, uh, 350 yards. And so that brand of ball ain't going to work against Josh Allen over the long run. It's not going to work against uh, Mahomes or Burrow. You know, this week, uh, two two guys in particular have talked about how difficult it is to go to Highmark and, and play. Ted Karras, who played center for the Patriots for a number of years, had to go there once a year. And then Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defense coordinator, who was in Miami for six seasons, and he he's played games there. Um, do, do you think, as someone who played in that stadium with the energy in your favor, is it is it more in favor of the Bills? Is it more against the opponent? And... Uh, the, the second part of that question, there's been a lot of conversation here about why this game isn't in a neutral site, why this wasn't a coin flip. Uh, what's What's been the reaction to that side of things in Buffalo? So I'll answer your first question first. Uh, yes, as a player for the Bills, it can charge you up when you have that atmosphere behind you because – in Buffalo, people don't sit down during the games. Part of that's to stay warm this time of year, but <laughs> but they're not sitting down the entire game. So it's just constant noise. Uh, and, I, and I do think it'll play a factor in this game, mainly because the Bengals are going to be forced to operate off a silent count, which would not be that big of an issue in week 17 for this Bengals offensive line that entering that week hadn't had an injury on the offensive line. You're so mm. used to being on a silent count the entire season. You're talking about potentially three new starters on the on the Bengals offensive line using a silent count exclusively that that can be an adjustment that can aid into the fact that the Bills will be able to get a good jump off the football maybe the pass sets by these young 
inexperienced tackles aren't as fluid because you're not getting a jump on the ball because of that silent cadence. So I, I truly do think that can play a factor in this game. And look, I mean, the NFL did the best they could. I'm from Cincinnati. I get it. I'm not saying Cincinnati plays the victim role, but when you've had Look, I, I was born in 1986. The Bengals were good. The Reds were good. And then all of a sudden, they both stunk for like 15 years. Like, I get it. It's the Buffalo fe- would feel the exact same way if it was mm-hmm. on the opposite side because the Bengals or the Bills, when I was playing, they had the longest playoff drought in all of pro sports. And so I get it. When you're a frustrated fan base, you're going to you're gonna groan about this. And, and I would, too, if I was on the other end of it because it's an unprecedented – and I don't want to say unfair. It's just it stinks the way it shook out because the Bills fans are also saying, why is next week neutral? We beat Kansas City. You know, the flip side is if the Bills win this game, why are we playing in that game in Atlanta? Why shouldn't it be in Buffalo? We win the head to head if this game was played and we want. So you can play that game as well yeah. from the Bills end of things. I love Joe Burrow's approach to it, though. Look, we like going on the road. And that's and that's how you have to approach it if you're within the walls of the building. As media, we can talk about it, we can debate it, what's right, what's wrong. In the building, you can't have that mindset because that'd be a waste of your time and your mental energy. You just simply say, "Look, good. We won three playoff games on the road on the way to the Super Bowl last year. We'll do it again this year if we have to." Yeah. Sorry, not no, three. It'd be two. two yeah. Yeah. It's and and you know what we we have we were just talking about earlier about how. You know, there's been so many parallels to the Bengals Super Bowl season over the course of this year from the wild card game literally coming down to stopping a touchdown drive at the end and almost a Jermaine Pratt interception at the end again and, and not feeling like they played their best and now having to go on the road, not being favored, feel it, playing the disrespect card. And, and they went into Tennessee and, and won a game last year. They really rallied around being the road team and sort of embraced it. Similar type thing this year. You know, it seems to fit them almost, you know, um, I'm curious as from the Bills perspective. Perspective. If the Bills win this game, you know w- what's the reason that we're saying afterwards? I think if either team wins this game, it's the ability to affect the quarterback. Whether that's mixing up coverages and getting Burrow or Allen to not get to his first read quickly, because you can't bring blitzes against either of these guys. They're two of the tops in the league, and when you look at it under pressure, Josh Allen's got the number one quarterback rating in the league when blitzed. Joe Burrow's number one quarterback rating in the league. Joe Burrow's got the fastest time to release in the NFL. You can't bring second-level players against either of these guys or they're going to make you pay. And so whoever's front four can cause some type of pressure, batted balls when the ball gets out quickly, whoever's front four on defense can affect the other quarterback the best. And then on the back end, try and confuse the quarterbacks. That's going to be the biggest factor because – it doesn't appear the weather is going to play a factor this week, which it can in Buffalo. And so both of these offenses are going to move the football. They're two of the best in the league. And, and in big moments, Josh Allen has been one of the best statistical quarterbacks in the playoffs ever. And Joe Burrow in his first playoff run last year takes the Bengals to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. plays incredible. And so these guys are going to move the football. It's who can affect the other quarterback the most. And that's going to have to come from a four-man rush. 
It's great. Thanks, Eric. Uh, I got to tell you, this has been so fun. It's been good being able to catch up with you here over these couple of games. And uh, how lucky are we, man? You know, you got to play in big games. But for our perspective, you know, to be able to see, uh, you know, these two teams who are some of the premier. I said at the beginning of the show, I mean, this could if you if they were in different uh, conferences, this you'd be thrilled if this was your Super Bowl. You know, I mean, two great teams getting to go against each other and uh, and and settle it on the field. I'm happy that we can talk about settling things on the field considering all the talk <laughs> off of it that's gone on so gonna you be know, fun I, thank you so much yeah my pleasure i agree with that 100 and covering teams that are this good and have great guys and young talent in mm. a, a bright future i mean there's a lot of teams around the league right now talking about coaching searches gm searches possible draft picks we're not doing that we get to talk ball in january which is great <laughs> i often tell the bills radio guys i have no idea how you guys did this through the 18 years <laughs> because it'd be miserable every game you're trying to search for some positive or you're just beating down the team you cover which wouldn't be fun either so yeah we're, yeah. we're in a great spot right now and and anything i can ever do for you guys just let me know well, I appreciate awesome. it. Maybe we can do something for you. If you're not busy Saturday night, come out to Fatty Beer Brewing. Graders is showing up with their truck and just giving out free graders to anybody that's at our event down there Saturday night. So I know being a Cincinnati guy, I'm sure you're a graders fan. If you want to collect some, take it home. Uh, you, it's right there waiting for you. Love me some graders. I appreciate that invite. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> See you later, Eric. Yes. Thanks, Eric. All right, let's just take a quick break. All right. Uh, again, much thanks to Eric Wood uh, for joining us. Great to have him. Um, let's before we talk to Eric, we were talking about the red zone and, and sort of mentioned at the end the Jamar Chase factor. You know, if the red zone is going to be the key to this game in so many ways, Jamar Chase is going to be the key to this game. Uh, Jay, you 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 ran through some of the stats of how much Jamar Chase is featured down there. And again, big moments, high leverage. Joe Burrow's been so good in high leverage moments, and his number one uh, move in those is find number one. And it, it plays itself out over and over again. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, I I mentioned to Jamar that he was third in the league in receptions, and he was shocked by that. And he... I, I I didn't even th- I was just looking at volume. I wasn't even thinking about per game because he had a ga- one game canceled. He missed four games due to the hip. If you if you look at these numbers as per game instead of totals, he leads the NFL in red zone targets. He leads the NFL in red zone receptions, and he leads the NFL in red zone yards by almost fifty percent. I mean, if you're if you're 50 percent better than everybody else in the league, that's insane. <laughs> he, he, he he averages nine point four red zone receiving yards per game. The next highest is Mike Williams of the Chargers at six point nine. No one else even has more than six point four. It's just he is the guy down there and everybody thinks about the deep ball and, and how explosive he is. And when the field shrinks down in the red zone. He is just as good, um, and he knows it. Let, let's hear from Jamar uh, referencing that. 
You have the third most red zone catches of any receiver in the league this year. I, I know you're you're good everywhere. Do I really? Yeah. I missed four games. How is that possible? I don't know, but I need to be I need to be called the best receiver in this game already. Then how about that? Yeah. I mean, I know you think you're good everywhere, but why? Why do you think you're so such a weapon in the red zone? Um, I honestly didn't know I had that many targets in the red zone. Um, I don't know, man. That's a good question. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't really get too many one-on-ones. Um, lately, I feel like Zach's been putting me in a slot to get me away from that um, in the red zone. I mean, it's really just a mixture. You know what I'm saying? You know, they, they've been using me the right way when we get in the red zone and the opportunities they give me. How often do you think you've been in the slot this year compared to last year? A lot more, actually. Has it um, It's opened up a little bit. It's opened up a little bit. Um, I know we start off the game a lot with me in a slot sometimes. Just the first four plays, maybe. Um, you know, that right there makes the defense, you know, look for me and figure out if T got one-on-ones. That's when we take our opportunities for it and stuff like that. I like the RPO package that you got involved with. I mean, you made some nice plays in the field off the RPO package. You showed your strength and everything there. Yeah. Uh, Zach did a good job of that last game. Just moving me around and keeping me near the RPO. Um, that was pretty cool. You know, I like the game plan he had, um, especially last year. That was one of his best game plans I think he had. You think you're the best receiver in the league? Hell yeah. Why? <laughs> I just put up how many stats with four missed games. I'm leading in what? Red zone uh, reception. Not leading, but top five. I'm leading. I'm, I'm going to say I'm leading. How about that? Um, but, you know, um, if I didn't miss, I'm about to say, I'm just going to say that. If I didn't miss those four games, you know what I'm saying? Probably had a year like Jets, cool. You know what I'm saying? So who, who knows what really happens. When did you become the best receiver? Was there a moment over the last year where I've been saying it. You know, I've been thinking it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just not no cocky person. You know, I'm humble and I, I know what I can do. I don't need to prove it to everybody. Everybody knows what I can do. Was there a point though where you started like really believing? As soon as I got here, I mean, never, never was a doubt in my mind that I wasn't. You know what I'm saying? I always knew I was top five, top three. I always knew I was the top of the list. It, it never was something that came across my mind. How do you, how do you break so many tackles? God, bro, I don't know. I don't know. I, genetics. <laughs> is, that, is that an area of your game you feel like is really developed last year? Um, nah. I feel like that's always been a part of my game. You know, just breaking tackles. You know, I used to play running back when I was younger, so that just came in and stayed with me in the ball. One more thing, you spoke a lot about Zach and his play calling. Like, how much have you grown to, you know, really, not just respect, but like really, really respect yeah. the way he came Yeah, um, the, I honestly, honestly can say that over over time it's, been, it's gotten better. Um, I'm not saying that it, was, it wasn't bad, but just better ways of isolating receivers, putting them in motion, giving them one-on-ones, just setting it up for us to get open. So I think that's something he's been doing a lot better this year um, than last year, just because he didn't know what he had as much last year than this year. Now. You like him as a, your play call. How you like to have him around for a while, I guess. Oh, yeah. I need to be around for a while. <laughs> I love Jamar Chase. I mean, the dude, it's just, it's great. I he He's just such a fun person to talk to. Look, I'm humble, and I'm the best receiver in the league. How about that? <laughs> I love, I mean, but you know, it, there's, there, there's something to, 
that belief and, and and the way that that he sort of carries himself out there that is the key to those situations right it's timing it's yeah. chemistry it's confidence in everything that you're doing down there um to 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 be what makes it work and i think that's that's a big part of the reason why you see that and 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 you saw it last year i mean go back to the chiefs game right when you have to have it moments in the red zone in the playoffs nine's looking for one yeah, and it goes back to what I said about what Burrow said in the press conference yesterday, where if it needs to be there right away, and if it's not, you move on. And nobody wins more often and wins faster than Jamar Chase. He's yes, he's got great elite speed and he can he can burn you down the field, but his releases are great. And he's just he's so physical at the point of the catch. Maybe uh that trust with with Burrow there lends itself there where maybe the window isn't quite as big as you would want it to be with other receivers, but he trusts Jamar to, to win the fight for the ball in, in a contested catch in the red zone. I mean, the throw that Burrow called his favorite of the season mm-hmm. is the perfect example, right? The touchdown uh, to chase against Cleveland where he throws the ball where chase didn't even think it was coming. And he put it right on his hip on a route that <laughs> shouldn't have been thrown. And Jamar just turns around and catches it. Like, how's the ball on me? You know, it's just, that's, that's part of it. That's sort of of part of who they are down there. Um, the other side of this, that's an interesting one that we haven't really explored a ton. When we start talking about what Jamar chase might be able to do, um, we talked about this in the lead up to the first game, you know, the Justin Jefferson game against Buffalo. Uh, you've seen number one receivers have been able to have some good games. You know, it, there's a theory about th- the first time a team plays Jamar Chase, they're just surprised by him. They, the way he plays and looks on tape is just not the same as it feels and the suddenness uh, that he plays with in person. We saw this last year a bunch, right? I mean, whether you're talking about, you know, from his first touchdown catch of his career against Bashad Breland in the Vikings in week one to the way he, you know, took Marlon Humphrey behind the woodshed in the first Ravens game. And then the Ravens figured out, what that feels like, and it was better to week 17 against Kansas City, right? 266 yards, three touchdowns, <laughs> and then they did a better job the next time of understanding exactly what they were going up against. Um, this year, games, New Orleans, Atlanta, first time they see him and he's going off, right? I mean, it just seems like, you know, I, I joked with some people, is there a, is there like a whiteboard somewhere in an office where they keep track of how many times Jamar Chase was tackled by the first guy? And it's got like maybe eight slashes on it at this point. I mean, not many. It, it Because teams are just not prepared for that physicality and with the ball in his hands after he catches it and the acceleration and all of that stuff. I just think if you haven't seen him, it takes other teams a little bit by surprise. I broached this to Brian Callahan when we talked to him yesterday, and here's what he had to say about that. I know teams always adjust to him, but like, do you ever notice the first time you play teams, you guys can take advantage of them being surprised by him as a run-after-catch guy and how good he is yeah. at that? Yeah, I do. I think it goes for a lot of players in the league. If you're not familiar with their play style um, and you don't see them very often, um, you can't always see on tape what it feels like to play against them. And that goes for defensive ends. That goes, I mean, there's, there's guys all across the league that are like that. And um, I think that's why you see, you know, the AFC North teams when they go out of the AFC North, how much different it is when they play some teams. They're just not ready for that style of football. And um, 
I think it goes the same for a guy like Jamar, where if you've never seen his speed and you've never felt his strength when you're actually out there battling with him, I think you see teams, individual corners in particular, uh, it's almost surprising at first. Um, and then you see the guys that know how to play against them and, you know, the Baltimore's and Pittsburgh, I mean, teams that have seen him a bunch, um, you know, understand a little bit better what he's capable of um, and probably respect it more than, than some teams have over the course of the season. And um, some teams have, have paid for it. Um, but there's that's a real thing and on being able to feel and play against a guy that you've never seen before. That's his level of um, player. It, it can it can surprise people sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know that's a real thing, right? I mean, I think that's mm. and that's important. And it kind of takes me back to the role of those nine minutes. What was the first thing the Bengals did in that game? Deep play one deep ball. Jamar Chase prove that you're not ready. You you are going to be surprised by this, right? And he had him, and it was a huge pass interference gain uh, by Tredavious White. You wonder how much, okay, that taught Tredavious White something about playing Jamar Chase, and there's value for Buffalo in that understanding. But it's not like we saw a ton of Jamar Chase, particularly the underneath stuff where he's breaking tackles um, and doing all all the ways that they've used him um, this year. So curious to see uh, how much that nine minutes will play into other teams, the Bills, feeling like they have a feeling for who Jamar Chase is and, and what his presence is like on the field versus could this be a, you know, a Chiefs, a Ravens, uh, even Tennessee in the playoffs last year where he, the one explosive was on them just not being ready uh, for his quick move when they were deep in the shadows of their own goalposts and he almost took it 100. Uh, you know, that – factor in this game is going to be really interesting to watch because we know Burrow is going to be looking for it. You know he's going to be leaning on it. You know the quick game is going to be a big part of this game as they lean heavier into that, worried about protection issues. So much of that is Jamar Chase after the catch, is them being prepared for Jamar Chase after the catch and his general speed. Yeah, and they've done such a good job this year, too, of, of moving him around way more than they did last year. And it, it's the, it goes back to that same kind of thing where you put him in the slot a lot early and – the outside guys have seen it on film. Now they're seeing it in person, but they're not actually experiencing it. It's the slot guys that are, are having to deal with it early. And then you move them outside. And yes, against the Bills, they did start him outside for that nine ball in the first play. But um, I, he, he was really complimentary of Zach this year and, and the way that he has used him and put him in the best possible situations. And um, yeah, they, the game didn't count. But those nine minutes did happen. It, it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, the Bills learned from that. I, I think you know, we saw it last week against Baltimore. He, he had six catches in the first half. as the most he'd ever had in a first half. He had six catches in the first 16 minutes. Um, I, I think you're going to see something similar to that this week at Buffalo where they get him going really, really early in this game. Yeah. Um going to be there's just so many matchups here that are fascinating to watch another aspect of the Bengals offense here is going to be this is going to be can the Bengals protection hold up consistently enough and their quick game be effective in offsetting that enough that they are just slicing and dicing the bills underneath um, so consistently that it forces them out of rush for drop zone, right? I mean, that's 
so much of how teams have tried to approach the Bengals this year, and they consistently have been able to get teams out of it. Teams they're just not willing to just sit there and let and and be sliced one at a time again and again and again. And they want to force the issue, and they want to bring a blitz, or they want to you know do a man man situation, man pressure, try to press up, whatever it is. And and they want to force issue. They want to just sit back. They don't have the patience to just sit back. Teams that have played the Bengals a lot or that really understand it um, understand you just have to have that patience and that eventually it, were, it it plays in your favor over the course of a long game, okay? Here we go, Jay. Are you ready? Paul's got stats. No, I can't wait. All right. Yeah, I, these, these are good ones. I know. So teams that play zone at a at more than more than 75% of their snaps against the Bengals. All right. There have been and I'm taking out weeks one and two because right we talked about how they learned from that and learned mm-hmm. we're learning about cover two and battling the zone and Burrow's been so good since then figuring that out. So I, I took those out because that would have made these worse discrepancies. I felt like that was almost unfair to the Bengals. So these numbers were worse that I'm about to give you. Teams that play 75% zone or more, six times teams have been willing to do that. Baltimore three times, Cleveland twice, and the hoodie, Belichick. All were willing to wait it out and understand the importance of it. Bengals four and two in those games. Points per drive, 1.78. Touchdown. You know what? I need to do these side by side. So here, the other ones. 10 games, teams weren't willing to do it. Less than 75% zone. Here's the side-by-side of those numbers. More zone, four and two. Not enough, nine and one. Points per drive against heavy zone, 1.78. Points per drive when they don't play it that much, 2.88. Touchdown percentage, 22% versus not enough zone, 35%. Adjusted net yards per attempt in those games with heavy zone, 4.92. Adjusted net yards per attempt when they don't play enough zone, 8.24. It is unbelievable, the difference. And now, in all those games, so I just weeded out those weeks just to look at the Bengals' stats. I couldn't help be blown away by they were ahead in the league in those 10 weeks by a country mile to everyone else in the league. They are, they will just punish you. And we've talked about this a lot this year, but it hasn't come up enough lately because teams right lately have been saying, we're just going to sit in this. Is Buffalo going to be willing to do that? Buffalo middle of the pack in zone percentage played this year. 70%. 70%. Seven of their 17 games have been more than 75%. But three of those four were in the first three weeks of the season. So they haven't done it a lot since. It's how they started the year. They've morphed since then. Will they be willing to sit there 80, 85, 90% sit in the zone and let their four try to get home? It would seem that's the philosophy. If they don't, that's when the Bengals start making teams pay, and that's when the Bengals win and put up big numbers. So a, a team that kind of compares to the Bengals would, would be the the Dolphins with those those speed threats and, and Waddle and Hill. I assume one of those 
first three of four was against the Dolphins in week three. Do did they did they go heavy zone? Do you know the the second two times yeah. they played the Dolphins? They did. So it lessened. Well, lessened. Yeah. So they 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 were they were a little different. I mean, it wasn't as mm. it wasn't as heavy zone the second time. I think the but there's situational stuff too. It was missing games. I, there's a lot. Skyler I have in to, the playoff game. Yeah, yeah. Breaking breaking down the Dolphins. I didn't go that deep into breaking down the Dolphins, but I know. I mean, just in general, you know, that's kind of the way it's it's sat where Buffalo's middle of the pack. I mean, it's not like. It's not like facing a team that loves living in man, and you know you're going to get mm-hmm. that. I mean, they can go either direction. They're pliable that way. How willing will they be to sit in it? How much patience will they have if the Bengals can do what they do to some teams, which is just one at a time, just keep completing you know, 80% of balls underneath and moving the ball down the field. It will be interesting to see. So much of that comes down to the protection. Right. I mean, that's, that's going to be a big part of it too, as we, as we know. Yeah, and it's it's going to be interesting because they're I think they're they're going to need to use help. They're going to have Hayden Hurst in there or Mitch Wilcox. They're going to have guys chipping. The real interesting part of this is Joe Mixon can be such a weapon offensively, but man, he got blown up uh, trying to pick up Roquan Smith early. I think it was the first drive of that Ravens game, and and yeah. Samaj P. Ryan actually outsnapped him. Um, do do we see more of that where they? If the Bills' pass rush is getting home, and if they're blitzing and getting there, and, and Burrow's under a lot of duress, are, are we gonna see more Samaj P. Ryan than Joe Mixon in this game? Um, that's, it, I mean, that's a big part of it because yes, they they are talking the game that they have faith in the all these new pieces on the offensive line, but how long does that how long is that leash? If the first couple drives, Burrow's getting smacked around, um, I think you're gonna have to start going max protect. I mean, yeah, you you are chipping more. You are keeping a guy in more. Well, you don't have to go max protect. I mean, they, they, they do the opposite, right? I mean, they, they put everybody out in the route, but Why? that's fine. You know, P. Ryan certainly solid catching the ball out of the backfield too. I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I think what you saw is is a, a, the even split, but the fact that they're they're not. It's not like they're getting a ton out of the run game anyway with Mixon. It's mm-hmm. not like he's he's on a heater or something like that. Um, I, yeah, that's why they went to Pira. I think it's a great point. You know, I think you're you're probably going to see a little bit more of him in that regard because they need to be protecting. They need to be helping. They need to have somebody who knows how to do that, and you can count on in that situation. And that far more has been Pirine than Joe. Um, all right, you know we we. We can dive into the turnovers aspect of this game, but I think we know it, right? I think it's obvious. Mm-hmm. The Bills, I've had Eric Wood talked about it. Nine turnovers in the last three games. So much a part of who the Bills have been. And Josh Allen has been Professor Chaos, right? I mean, it's it's big time throw or turnover worthy play. He leads the league in both. And look, that's that's a, so much a part of what this game is going to be, but that's obvious. That's obvious. And the Bengals have been on uh, you know, this turnover bender. Um Jay, you've got, you've got, you've got stats. I want to go into some Jay's got stats here. Okay, we've got lots of stats. We got to make sure we hit them. We these. do. Kick, kick me off here with some uh, coaches and quarterback playoff win stats. So yeah, I tweeted it after the game. Uh, how Zach was four and one, and that eight hundred winning percentage is tied for the best all time um, in postseason winning percentage for coaches and people. Thought five games wasn't fair enough of a of a, a sample size to go with. So I, I went a different direction and I said, okay, how many coaches 
if 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 the Bengals are able to win in Buffalo, Zach would then be five and one in his first six playoff games. How many coaches in NFL history since the merger, since the 1970 merger, have won five of their first six postseason games? Um, there's 12, and it's a heck of a list. Um, Joe Gibbs won his first six. Brian Billick and Hall of Famer Tom Flores both started five and zero, oh, and then Barry Switzer, Bill Belichick, Bill Walsh, George Seifert, Jimmy Johnson. John Fox, Mike Shanahan, Mike Tomlin all started five and one. That's the group that Zach Taylor would join. And oh, by the way, three of those five would be on the road. Yeah. I mean, how'd Foxy sneak in there? I got love for Foxy, but this is like one of these things is not like the other one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean that you're right. That is one. That is one hell of a of a list. Uh, quarterbacks. Yeah. So same thing. How many quarterbacks won five of their first six games? And there's some there's some pairings here. And one of them is that weird. How did John Fox get in there? Um, <laughs> how did Jake DeHome get in there? <laughs> I mean Love he it. he won he won five of his first six. Uh, Brady is. The standard bear, obviously, he started his career 10 and 0 in postseason games. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> ever going to match that. Uh, Troy Aikman, 7 and 0. Joe Theismann, 6 and 0. Um, but the, the other guys that, that won five of their first six postseason starts, uh, I mentioned Del Home, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Jim Plunkett, Joe Montana, Kurt Warner, Mark Rippon, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer. There's route. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yes. Uh, you, yeah. We, can we just like have his defense uh, surrounding him in the picture of him in that on that uh, that list, please? Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's Jay. Let's go. So it's gonna be cold. Okay. It's gonna the mm. temperature's gonna be right around freezing here for this game. We mentioned some light snow expected. Cold weather stats. Cold. Joe Burr. Right. The real yes. Joe Burr. Yeah. What do we got? Uh, he's played six games in his career at 35 degrees or less. His record is six and O in those games. This is insane. He's completed 72.5% of his passes. He's averaged 321 and a half yards per game, a passer rating of 108.1 yards per attempt, 8.3. 14 touchdowns, five interceptions. He's like Elsa. The cold never bothered him. (laughs) You're playing right into the heart of my house right now. As if I wasn't already singing and dancing Let It Go in my living room this morning with my three-year-old. Yeah, no, cold doesn't bother him anyway. There it is. There's your headline. Uh, But he's facing Josh Allen. Yeah, what's part two? Part two is since 2020 – uh, quarterback records in 35 degree or colder weather. Uh, Burrow is the only one on the list who is undefeated among quarterbacks that have at least four games in that kind of weather. Second on the list, Josh Allen, 13 and one, a 929 <laughs> winning percentage. Um, and then Patrick Mahomes, five and one, is third on that list. So three of the four remaining quarterbacks in the AFC playoffs are elite 
in cold weather. Now, it should be noted, last year's AFC Championship game in Kansas City, it was 41 degrees at kickoff, so that did not fall under that one didn't count. Uh, this, this particular one when we were talking about actual freezing temperatures and things like that. So love that. Uh, but that probably, right, correlates into the Bills' home success in yes. general, and they have obviously home playoff success too because so many, pretty much any playoff game for the Bills uh, is probably going to be 35 or below. Yeah, right. And they just overall, the Bills, since the 1970 merger, have the best winning percentage in home playoff games at 13 and 1. Um, Patriots, second on that list, 23 and 5. So the Bills' record is winning percentage is 929. The Patriots' winning percentage is 821 in home playoff games. What, what I thought was really odd about this, or maybe not odd, maybe telling uh, about this list and and why the Ravens approached that week 17 or week 18 game the way they did. Yes, part of it was to get their guys healthy. The Ravens have the worst home winning percentage in the playoffs. They are three and four for a 429 winning percentage. Flip it to road games. The Ravens have the best winning percentage in road playoff games at 11 and eight. Maybe they just wanted to go on the road and come back to Paycor. That must be it. Playing the, playing the numbers. I like it. Um, all right, let's go into Arby's. Uh, Jay, do you have uh, do you have, we went, we went the, the cornucopia uh, of Arby's on Tuesday. Do you, do we have any left, any leftovers? Yeah, this would have been better if I had gone to Arby's for lunch yesterday. I didn't. I went to Wendy's <laughs> and I made a run. Ben Baby from ESPN and Laurel Fowler from Dayton Daily News. I, I was picking up an order for them. I had 35 minutes to get over to Covington Wendy's and get back. Figured that was no problem. Um, as I'm leaving, it's raining and it's just getting harder and harder. But I get over there. No one in line friendly, fast service at Wendy's. Shout out to the Covington Wendy's because it's not always like that. Uh, Shout out Covington uh, Wendy's. (laughs) Um, As I'm coming back across the bridge, the Clayway Bailey Bridge, it's raining harder and harder. And I kind of peeked down at the practice to to see maybe what the offensive line looks like uh, (laughs) (laughs) personnel-wise. And everybody's gone except the offensive line. There's a couple coaches running sprints. Everybody else is gone except the offensive line. Frank Pollock still has those guys out there in the rain going through position drills. I think it, it was it it was cold and the rain there was more rain than they expected. Otherwise, they probably would have been in the indoor facility. So they called off practice early. And I I, I think that's what also led to the the Joe Burrow injury or uh, uh uniform um mix up because he probably ripped off that soaking wet nine um mm-hmm. and changed clothes and then went into the press conference and accidentally grabbed the the orange eight instead of the orange nine but that's i i thought that was telling that that practice got called early and the only people still out there were the offensive line it just kind of goes to that glass eater frank pollock mindset well, and the only unit that really needs to practice right now. Yes, like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Everybody else is kind of like, look, it's 
what is this? It's been going since July, right? But now you've got these three new guys, and this is important for them. Everybody else, say, everybody else, go in. You guys still need to get your work in. You go practice in the rain. Everybody else, go ahead and get inside. Stay warm. Mine is sort of connected to that. Um, so I have a story that'll be out tomorrow on the friendship between Joe Burrow and Sam Hubbard and how it really has became the core foundation of this Bengals renaissance. And so I've kind of was planning on talking to Sam a little bit more about that um, yesterday. Well, everybody came in early and we all went down to talk to Burrow thinking they came in early. Burrow would still just do go straight to his press conference because that's what he always does coming off. So we're sitting in there waiting, waiting and waiting. And then of course he comes in, he's wearing the Brandon Allen jersey. And it's like, oh, he, he, he says he forgot about it. He forgot about the press conference. Well, be, while he was in there, Hubbard had sort of addressed them, uh, a bunch of media people and talked for 10 or 15 minutes. He, as you might imagine, he's in high media demand this <laughs> week. I mean, he's talking Wall Street Journal. He's doing stuff for Bengals Media. He did 25 minutes with the CBS pregame show. Like, that doesn't normally happen for Sam. So he, he had done all of this stuff. And uh, not all in one day, but he had done his ba- his locker room time there. And Burrow comes in. I come in, and Sam's not there. And I talked to Emily Parker from Bengals uh, PR. And I was like, have you seen Sam? Is he, are you guys have him doing something right now? I'm sure he's busy. He's like, she's like, well, I have the update. He's currently in the cold tub as of 318. And he plans, or he's in the sauna and he plans on moving to the cold tub in 10 minutes. I'm like, we getting cold tub updates? You getting direct text messages from? He's like, well, because he's supposed to do this Wall Street Journal interview on the phone. He said he might want to do it in the cold tub. So I'm keeping track of it. So all of this is going on. He eventually goes into the cold tub and I'm just waiting. It's the one person I really need to get. I need to finish this story, right? I just need to just sit and BS with Sam for a little bit. Normally, never a problem. I mean, Sam is the ultimate mm-hmm. dude hanging out at his locker. You can kick it with him whenever. So he's going, he goes into the cold tub. Uh, doesn't want to do the, the Wall Street Journal thing in the cold tub. Uh, he just wants to just enjoy the tub. So, of course, man, you do you. Do you. But, I'm like, but I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, by the time he comes out of this cold tub, like we're going to be the time where they kick us out of this locker room because our time is up. Like, well, maybe it might not, though. It'll be close. Then what do I know? Sam comes out. Got about five minutes. And so he's kind of like, uh, we're talking, he's talking about the Wall Street Journal thing. Like, oh, well, and I was like, yeah, and, and if you have a few, I can just like BS with you. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. He goes, I'm so cold, though. And I was like, of course. Like, he just came out of the cold tub, and he just wants, and I'm like, well, yeah. And he's like, can we, can we do it? And I was like, well, yeah, but like, they're kicking me out. And he goes, oh, they are. You're right. You know what? Let's do it. Let's just do, come on with me right now. I feel so bad. Like, I wanted to just tell him no. Like, no, don't sit there. And and it's supposed to be like a real, it's a relaxing topic. It's about his time hanging out in the dorms with Joe Burrow, whatever. We're just going to BS about sort of their friendship. And he's still delivering. Like, he's being so, he's just the nicest dude. Like, he's just, he's, he's, he's like, going through it and like talking about all of it and laughing and telling jokes, but you can see he's cold. And I'm like, Sam, I, I think you should just, just go do the shower. He's like, he's like, you sure? Are you, are you sure you've got to know what you need? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Please go in the shower. I can't stand and talk to you while you're shivering anymore. Like I feel too bad about this. And so I went in and, uh, and of course, Trey Hendrickson's like, I think the time's up in the background because that's what Trey Hendrickson does. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, go in there. So I'm going to try to apologize. And, and when I see Sam today and maybe, uh, maybe, uh, reconnect, on, uh, on a couple of those topics, but it made me laugh because he's just such a nice guy where he's just like, 
sitting there shivering while he humors me with stories about his college life, you know, just uh, cracked me up. Um, Less than 1% of players would do that, by the way. Yes, absolutely. Walter Payton, man of the year nominee. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm, I, you know, I know Ted Karras got the good guy, but I'm, I'm calling a veto on that. <laughs> Give it to Hubbard. Give it to Hubbard. Uh, uh, all right, let's go into our Bengals growler bet and run past reboot before we do our predictions. Uh, Bengals growler bet. First of all, before we talk about this week's growler bet, I got to shout out Bill Jacob, who had 32% via email sent in last week. Ah. However, however, in the subject header, used hashtag Bengals growler bet, which is what you do on Twitter. In the subject header of the email, you have to have just the word growler, or else when I search that in my email, it does not show up. So I pointed out, yes, you technically were a winner. I will give you the shout out, but so close on actually getting the reward. He pointed out he doesn't live here, so he can't come get it anyway. Okay. If he ever shows up at something, I will buy that man a beer uh, personally. But for the record, growler needs to be in a subject header alone at pdaner at theathletic.com. Hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter if you want to be seen and submitted. This week's Growler Bet, Jay. So we talked about it on the last show. The Bengals have six straight games with a fourth quarter takeaway, and the Bills have a lot of giveaways. You figure the Bengals are going to get at least one takeaway, maybe more, but what will be the time of game of the final Bengals takeaway Sunday. And what kind of buffer do we want to give on this time? Two seconds. Um, let's do three seconds either way. Three either way. Okay. Uh, my time is going to be 658. 658 in the fourth quarter. Eight. It continues. Streak continues. Um, I, I want to go less than that, but it will conflict with my prediction. So I'll go a little earlier. <laughs> I'll go, I'll, I'll go back to my palindrome and I'll go 11, 11 fourth quarter street continues. All right. All right. 11, 11 fourth quarter. Um, all right, thanks, Bengals Growler Bet. Get those submissions in before kickoff, and delicious 50 West beer uh, can be yours. Um, all right, let's go to run, pass, or boot. We're going to have two run, pass, or boots. First run, pass, or boot this week. What happens first? Joe Burrow sack. Bengals touchdown. Bengals defensive red zone stop. Burrow sack, Bengals touchdown, Bengals defensive red zone stop, Jay. Um, I'm going to say it looks like that Monday night game, and they all happen in the first quarter. The Bengals win the toss, take the ball, go down and score a touchdown on their opening drive. Uh, Bills go down into the red zone on their opening drive. The Bills get a stop, and then the Bills get a sack of Joe Burrow on the Bengals' second offensive possession. So that's I'm going to run with Bengals' touchdown, pass on red zone stop, and boot, crazy as it sounds, a Joe Burrow sack against that offensive line. I will not do that. I will run with Joe Burrow sack. 
I will pass <laughs> on Bengals touchdown and boot Bengals red zone stop. One, two, three, uh, right in that order. And maybe the same, maybe the same drive. Burrow sack and Bengals TD may both come on the opening driver. Yeah, and uh, maybe we do see after that. But that's, uh, I, I think you're going to see one of those early sacks as the line tries to f- figure some things out in a loud environment. Uh, what's the second one, Jay? All right, the second one. What will be greater, Josh Allen rushing attempts? He averages 7.7 for reference. The game's largest lead or Evan McPherson kicking points. That includes field goals and extra points. Okay. Uh, I am going to run with game's largest lead. I think we're going to see a team get out one way or the other. I do. I th- and, and the other one come back. It's just it, it, no lead really matters with these two teams. I mean, there's, mm. there's very few scores at halftime that would make you say this one's over, considering the history with both of these sides, the explosiveness of both offenses, um, what we've seen from them. So I, I think it's very easy that you could see a team get up a couple of scores, and it just doesn't really mean much, and it goes back the other way. Uh, so I'm going to say largest lead is going to be uh, a big number. I'm going to pass on Josh Allen rushes. I do think they're going to lean into that. I do think we're going to see Josh Allen run it quite a bit. Uh, and I'm going to boot McPherson kicking points. Evan McPherson kicking in the elements, um, certainly in the back of people's minds, especially after he missed that PAT in the Ravens game. Just, I don't know how it's not in the back of people's minds at this point in a game that could be decided by a kick. I'm with you on Evan. I'm going to boot him though more due to opportunity than performance. I just think this is a game that you're going to have to score touchdowns to win. And I think you're going to see the, the Bengals go for it on fourth down in a lot of those situations. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go a different direction with, with my run. I'm going to run with Allen running. You're, you're right. I think they are going to lean into that and do it quite a bit. I think the Bengals defense is going to be able to get after him and force him to run on plays where maybe he doesn't want to run. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll run with the Allen rushes. I'll pass on the biggest lead. Um, I could see it getting in the in the ten range, but I'd be surprised if it's if it's bigger than that. And then I'll I'll boot the Evan McPherson kicking points. All right, the time has come, Jay Morrison. Yes, for for one of our uh, one of the toughest predictions of the season. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, I just I, I, I the Bills have flaws and. I think there's still a bit of an emotional hangover with the DeMar Hamlin. There's no way that the Dolphins should have been that close in that game. Um, They've got issues with turnovers. I I think the Bengals use that chip of disrespect, and I I just think that they're going to find a way to win this game. Um, I've got it Bengals 28 Bills 26, and the reason I didn't want to do the late turnover is I think it comes down to a Bengals stop, a two-point conversion stop after the Bills score a late touchdown, trying to force overtime. Bengals, a lot of people talk about the Bills' red zone, and I know two-point doesn't count as a red zone play, but it's basically the same thing, and I I think the Bengals' defense, uh, we've seen it throughout their playoff run the last couple years, the defense comes up with a play on the opponent's final snap. Wow. You're going for some specific call your shot <laughs> stuff here. I love that. I love that. Um, 
Well, well played, uh, Jay. Uh, for me, I- I'll say this. I think this is the toughest game on the road to a championship. I think going into Buffalo is harder than it will be going into Kansas City because of the history between those two teams and the fact the Bengals just did it last year, and obviously harder than if they were playing a home game against Jacksonville. And I think uh, them having experience, having been in the Super Bowl last year, if they happen to make it to that point against whoever comes out of the NFC, even if it's you know the juggernaut that the 49ers have been or whatever, I still like them there if they make it there. If you make it out of this AFC gauntlet, I think it it's a neutral site. Uh, finally, right? I, I I just think going to Buffalo, the Bills being so good and everything that they, Eric Wood talked about that they've been through this year, every storyline. I mean, there's so much resiliency to them. They're just this, they're this thing, right? That feels destined. And this is as hard as it's going to get. Um, not that the other ones won't be hard, but this is it. And over the course of the season, there's such a line of demarcation for me in reaching the championship game versus the divisional. You know, we, you know, Tom Brady made it to like to ten straight. Mahomes is trying to get to five straight conference championship games. It's once you, it just feels like you get there, and and it's such a, you know, that's there's the that's part of the achievement too. But ask the Bills about losing the divisional round last year. Thirteen seconds. Ask them about that, about how that feels. Right, and that being in the back of their mind, what happened in this round last year? Mm. This is just so tough. It's such a tough spot, and for the Bengals, so many things are gonna change after this. Coaches may come and go. Defensive players, we're gonna see uh, it's it's gonna change over. There's just change the, the the nature of the way things are structured with Burrow's contract and whatever. To have this many core veterans and everybody that's been together, it's such a big moment. It's such a beast for this road to go through the AFC North War in in, in the first game and then have to come back seven days later and go on the road to Orchard Park against an elite-tier team. This is the one, man. This is the one. If they win this game, I feel like they win the Super Bowl. I feel like this is the one. You said it, Jay. This team has been the same thing in all of these big games. Mm. They find a way to get the turnovers. They they find a way to get those big plays. They have that to them. Joe Burrow finds a way to not make the big mistake, to make the comeback, make the throw when he has to, understand the situations of not being the one to blow it as much as he is sometimes the one to go grab victory. And then... The constitution of the Bills and Josh Allen, nine turnovers in three weeks. And the fact that Josh Allen in some of these big moments has been the one to make the big mistake. And mm-hmm. and and the, the roller coaster of that makes me side with the Bengals in this one. And I I think it's insanely close. Both teams are wildly talented. Um but I think that's the factor that I keep coming back to is the nature of the way the Bills have played and the way the Bengals have played um, in big games on the turnover level and how that is going to be the deciding factor. We've talked about that so many times. I keep coming back to that. And I also come back to the divisional round. You wanted to be specific. I only feel it's right if (laughs) the league is cyclical. And things repeat themselves. Last year, 
I predicted McPherson from 52 at the gun in Tennessee. And it was McPherson from 52 at the gun. I'm doing it again. Bengals Uh-oh. 31. Bengals 31. Bills 30. McPherson from 52 at the gun in the snow. Again, it's my prediction for Sunday's wow. game. Uh, and the turnover at that, what did I say? 658 mark is the one that yeah, sets it up. Back into it is the one that sets it up. All right, Jay. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be right. I don't know that anybody that has tried to predict this game could have any clue that they're going to be right. Um, but it's going to be a whale of one. And mm-hmm. I know we certainly can't wait to get up to Buffalo. Shout out to local news. It's been there for four days now. Uh, <laughs> cannot wait to get up there. Um, fatty beer, six o'clock in Orchard Park, Saturday night. Come join us. Free graders in the house. Beers, us, Tyler Dunn, watching Kansas City game, talking football. Going to be a great time. Hope to see you all up there. And then we'll have the walkout for you after the game on Sunday night. Drive safe. Be responsible. Enjoy the tilt. We'll talk to you this weekend. Have a good one, everybody.